If you would, find a way back to your chair. I'm wondering if this, oh, maybe I need to turn this on. I need to turn this on for it to work, and that's going to work. Awesome. Okay, so, hey, uh, we are wrapping up the series this week, uh, Community of Faith, Hope, and Love. We had some kind of interruptions in the middle of this, and we've been talking about this vision of being a community of faith, hope, and love. This is one of our kind of summary mission statements, sort of a, a kind of encapsulating uh, you know, simple thing that everybody can remember. Well, what kind of a church is a vineyard church? Oh, well, you know, we're a community of faith, hope, and love. Uh, we want to hopefully give you that language, and hopefully that kind of gets internalized if people ask you about, well, what, 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 what the heck is that? What is that church? You can say, well, we're, we're a community of faith. So, like, we, we orient around Jesus. Faith in Christ is, like, the thing that unites us. Uh, we're, we're a community of hope. We're a community that, that dares to continue to believe that something better than what we experience uh, every day is possible and that God's kingdom could break in at any moment. God's kingdom could appear in, the, in healing and, and signs and wonders and the experience of God's forgiveness and restoration. And we're a community of love. We're a community of people that actually know each other, that actually care about each other, and that actually stick with each other in love. And that's what we're all about. That's what we want to be as a community. And so I want to start out by just reading uh, the passage of Scripture where we get this phrase, a community of faith, hope, and love, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13. If you would pray with me as we seek the Lord in Scriptures. Father, I thank you that your word doesn't come back to you void. But when we pay attention to you and we listen to your words, they change us. And they deposit things in us, and they grow, and fruit is born, and it's all so much better than we deserve. And so, Lord, I do ask that we would experience your love. I ask that we would experience your grace and your kindness this morning. God, I ask that if there's anything stupid that I want to say, that it would just fall flat on the floor. Uh, But if there's anything true, if there's anything good, excellent, praiseworthy that comes through you, that that would penetrate deep into our hearts and minds and that we would walk away changed by what you have to say to us this morning in your word, Lord. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a look at this somewhat famous famous chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. 
where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. This is probably one of the most famous and, frankly, one of the most beautiful chapters in the whole Bible, Uh, and with good reason. I mean, Paul is truly inspired. The Holy Spirit uh, is writing these words through through Paul's hand as he is teaching and correcting and, and trying to guide this the struggling community in Corinth, the Lord is speaking to him and to us and through us. And these are words that have echoed throughout the ages and inspired many people uh, because of their power and because of their truth. And we turn to this today, and I want to just, I have to offer some cautions. I have to correct what I think might be some misunderstandings because I do think that sometimes this passage, particularly the stuff about love in the middle, Uh, which is really great and really good, gets misunderstood and misapplied and misused to justify uh, some misunderstanding. And so I want to first start off and say, it does not say on that slide, it does not say in the paper Bible that you look at or in uh, in the digital copy of whatever version, whatever translation you're looking at, it does not say, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and sex. It does not say that. That is not what this passage is about. It is not talking about romantic sexual love. And this shouldn't really surprise us. You know, Jesus said, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 20, 30 that there's actually no sex and no marriage in the new heavens and the new earth. Did you know that? Half of the people in this room just decided they didn't want to go. But that's true. Like, that's not, that's not the end-all, be-all. Romance, though it is idolized in our culture and seen as the answer to everything, uh, romance is not, is, not, is not what is being talked about here. And I think it's important because our culture is particularly sex-obsessed. You know, it, it, pornography is ubiquitous now. I mean, every teenager has it in their pocket. Like, that's, that's kind of frightening. It's really kind of scary when you think about it that way. I don't mean to cause alarm, and I don't mean to, to be all cynical and say, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but it's, it's sad. It's really tragic the way that this thing that is supposed to be sacred, this thing that is designed to be beautiful and intimate and an expression of love has been so commodified Uh, and perverted by the greed of capitalism in our society to be turned into something that uh, is really, really sad and really dehumanizing. And and so we can't, but, and and the obsession with that commodity uh, has really, has really twisted the way that we think about even our concept of love and what love is. It's hard for us to read the word love and not think of romance almost exclusively when we look at a passage like this. And it's just important to draw a distinction, you know, like sex is not love. Uh, It is possible to have sex without love. There's actually a whole industry built around that and entire apps that 
function that way, right? But here's the good news, and here's the news that I think that God really wants to emphasize uh, to our community today and to remind us so that we can be a witness and so that we can be uh, an antidote to this illness and this sickness in the world. You know, you can have love without sex. You can have love without romance. You can have love that is deep and meaningful and covenantal and eternal without romance and without that being at the center. This also doesn't say these three remain, faith, hope, and marriage. Uh, now, I will say this passage was read at our, at, at our um, wedding, and I'm, I'm glad all these verses about love, they do apply to marriage. You know, it's really hard to have a healthy marriage relationship without patience. You, you, can't, you can't be a kind wife to your husband. You I mean, you can't be a loving wife to your husband uh, without kindness. You, you can't be a, a loving husband to your wife without kindness. If you're, if you're rude to your spouse, that, that exacts a cost and that erodes trust, that erodes the marriage. Uh, if you're constantly critical and keeping a list of wrongs with your spouse, that's going to, that's going to hurt, that's going to degrade the relationship over time. Getting easily angered, of course, is not, uh, is not a recipe for a good marriage. These, these verses all apply. Right? All these things that Paul says about love apply to marriage relationships, and it's, it's a, a correct and appropriate that we read this at weddings. Like It's not wrong for us to be reminded, especially in a totally sex-obsessed culture, and especially within a Christian culture that exists you know, as kind of like a, sub, uh, a subculture within that, where we have all these weird beliefs that sex is only for a man and a woman in the context of a lifelong committed marriage. Like That's really incredibly restrictive according to our culture and so we have that we have that idea and so then on the wedding day boy everything is supercharged right we're, we're getting excited that that it's about all about to happen but it's good on wedding days to be reminded of what love really is love is more than that romantic part of the greater picture of love love is patient love suffers along and waits with people who are suffering. Uh, love is kind. Love isn't rude. doesn't keep a list of wrongs, all these things. So it's important for us to remember that uh, this passage is not about romantic love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It's not, it's not thinking, man, I wish I had what that other person has. It's not focused on what I don't have and what someone else has that I want. It doesn't boast. It's not braggy. Love isn't, love isn't one-upping all the time. Love isn't saying, oh, you know, I'm just a little bit better than you. My Instagram's a little bit, a little bit hotter than yours. I want a little bit of a cooler vacation. Penelope is not the, uh, you know, Penelope from that SNL skit is not the embodiment of love. That is, that is the opposite because love is not proud. Humility is required for love. Uh, love doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love 
never fails. This is said in the context of a community and to a church. That is what this passage is about. This is describing what life and love and relationship should be like in the context of a Jesus-centered community where the Holy Spirit is doing things and where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are at work because love ultimately is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's something that Paul says in one of his other letters. When we look at these verses, this is about love in the context of a Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-filled community. That's why the verses preceding and after it are talking about supernatural things, the gifts of tongues, the gifts of prophecy. And, and what it's saying is, what it's saying is those things are good, those things are necessary, but, but what is the most important thing is that the community represents the love of God. That that's the most central and important thing about a community. It's not what a community is able to accomplish. It's not the, the works of healing or the works of prophecy, though those are definitely present and talked about, and those happen when the kingdom comes. But that love is really the thing that should orient a community and be its essence. And so the context is the church. And you may be thinking of times when maybe I've said something that hurt your feelings, or you've said something that hurt somebody else's feelings, or maybe you, you didn't feel very loved at church. Maybe you felt a little bit worn out. Maybe you felt a little bit uh, frustrated with something that someone else did. Or maybe, you, maybe you've got some real and legitimate hurt, uh, hopefully not from this church, but maybe from another church, uh, or maybe real legitimate hurt from this church. Like, you know, we've been through some stuff, and... We're a real community with real human sinful people. Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. All these things. But love happens in real communities full of real human people. That's where love happens. That's where we experience God's presence. That's where we experience hope. That's where we experience waiting and trusting in faith for God to do things. Love only happens in and amongst real, sinful human people. And every church and every community that you will ever be a part of is going to be full of real, sinful human people. That is the only way that you are going to experience love in this world. You will experience it imperfectly. You will experience it with people who aren't doing it right all the time, with people who are struggling to do it, with people who are hoping that Jesus will save them from their sinful state at the end of time. Love happens in this real human context with real actual people, and that's, that's especially true in this church in Corinth. You know, if you read chapter 5 of this, of this letter, and I would encourage you, Sunday, you know, maybe sometime this week, just sit down and 1 Corinthians 1, like 1 Corinthians, just read the whole thing. It's like 15, 16 chapters. It's like kind of a long news article, really. It's about as much text as it is. It's really not, it's really not super long. And when you read the whole thing, you get the whole flow of thought, some things might pop out to you, some things might stand out to you in ways that we don't always, uh, that we don't always see when we just kind of blow through a few verses and really zero in on a few verses on a Sunday morning. But one of the things that you'll notice in chapter 5 is 
there's some real messed up stuff happening in this church. Like, a, a, a guy has taken his father's wife as a girlfriend or maybe new spouse. Like, it's weird, right? Like, kinky, weird stuff, right? Like, uh, the, the people are, are arguing and fighting and, 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 and upset with each other, and they're suing each other in the public courts. This is happening in the church that, that Paul is, is talking about here. And they're, they're, there's abuse of power. People are arguing about who's in charge and who's best and which apostle is really, you know, like the, the coolest theologian, theologian and who's got the best theology and who, who do you really follow, you know, all that kind of stuff. All of that's going on. And greed. People not sharing. People being greedy and, and people kind of, kind of like showing off and profaning the Lord's Supper by excluding the poor and, and there's not enough left over because people are being so greedy. They're stuffing their faces while someone who's poor uh, isn't being included in the communion meal. And so, and so communion is not honoring Jesus. All of these things are happening in the church in Corinth that Paul writes to. And the other thing that's happening is God is pouring out his spirit in signs and wonders. People are speaking in tongues. Prophecy is happening. Healing is happening. Uh, people are experiencing God in his, in his power. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed and demonstrated and people are being baptized and coming to Christ. And all of it is happening in this big, messy community, all in the same place. And I got to say that honestly, when I read about you know, a church with sexual immorality, believers fighting and suing each other, greed and abuse of authority, and God's spirit being at work in that community, I'm... I'm I'm both relieved and encouraged because I know the ways that I am a mess. I know the ways that we as a church community are sometimes a mess, though I'm not sure we're quite, quite as messy as this particular community in all those ways. But like, whenever somebody says, you know, we just need to get back to the Testament church, I think, really? Which New Testament church? Which one did you want? Which one of those hot messes did you want to replicate? as though that were even possible. The good news of Jesus Christ is that his kingdom is breaking in in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our imperfections, in the midst of our very constant, very real need for God's grace and forgiveness. God is still at work among us, and we see the same things happening today. We see the same gifts of of holiness and love and and, and tenderness and care, and care for the poor and, and kindness and all these good things that are happening, they are happening in our community right alongside all of our very human brokenness. Because the kingdom of God is breaking into our present existence. And so we've, we've kind of been talking about this a lot in this series, this idea that people were hoping that this part, at the end of time, that that would be what would happen when the Messiah came. But what happened instead is this end of time came early. And so, you know, uh, there's a part where John the Baptist says, you know, hey, he sends some people over to Jesus and he says, hey, um, did I waste my life? Did I get it wrong? Were you really the Messiah? Because I'm in jail and I'm about to get killed. And Jesus sends, sends the guys back to John and he says, go and report what you hear and what you see. The dead are raised, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lepers are cleansed. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away on account of me. The kingdom of darkness 
continues to persist right now. We live in this tension of there's a lot of death, there's a lot of sin, there's a lot of oppression. The bad guys are still in charge, war is still happening, kingdoms rise against kingdom, empires are still pretending that they have the throne. But God's kingdom is declared and demonstrated in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and in the community that trusts that his work was actually finished on the cross and especially with the resurrection, resurrection and every sign and wonder that happens after it and even before it proves that this day is coming. That, this, that there will be a time when there is an end to sickness, that there is an end to death, that the kingdom of God will come in its fullness and we experience tastes of that when we welcome God's kingdom, when we welcome God's leadership into our hearts and minds and we obey him. When we obey the king, that's how the kingdom authority gets exercised. When we say yes to Jesus, his way gets done in our lives and in whatever influence he gives us in that moment. When we say yes to God, and here's the thing, you have to opt in. He's not going to force you. Jesus' kingdom extends through peace, through healing, through invitation, not through violent force and not through coercion. It's always opt-in. And here's the thing, you can always opt out. But the invitation is to say yes to Jesus, to, to, to say yes to God's invitation, to experience his goodness, to experience his mercy, to experience his kindness, and to administer or minister his grace and peace to the people around us. And so we, that's, what, that's what this language is about. When it says love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. When it says that, when it says we know in part, we prophesy in part, it's talking about this. It's talking about this now, not yet experience. We, we see part of it. We see some of it. We kind of through a glass dimly or through like a reflection in a mirror, like, you know, like when, when you can see your reflection in your car hood, you know what I'm talking about? So you can sort of see something that looks kind of like your face, right? But it's the wrong color and it's all like, you know, it looks like Picasso or something, like it's all weird and stretchy or maybe it's weird and stretchy this way and it's really unflattering, Right? We see the age to come as, as, as though through a glass dimly. We see in part, we know in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. It'll be like when you were a kid. You thought like a kid, you talked like a kid, you reasoned like a kid, but when you became a grown-up, you, you put the childish ways behind you. Right? Now we know in part, then we shall know fully even as we're fully known. The good news to us this morning is that, you know, there will be a time when prophecy is really not necessary because God will be so present and so near that all the words that we hear and all the things that we speak will be so bathed in the presence of God that the, the miracle of prophecy will, I mean, won't be miraculous anymore. It won't be unusual. It won't be a sign or a wonder. It'll just be life in the kingdom. There will be a time when God's revelatory knowledge, uh, you know, won't be all that fancy. It won't be that, 
won't be that powerful, you know. We won't, we won't struggle to understand anything. And so having special knowledge, having, having insight from God, uh, everybody will have that. And so that's not going to be a big deal. You know, speaking in the tongues of angels, you know, when that gift of tongues that is talked about and practiced in the New Testament and in many churches throughout the world, you know, being able to praise God in every human language and every angelic language uh, apparently, that's going to be something that everybody enjoys. It's not going to be remarkable or noteworthy in any way. And we won't need faith uh, because we'll be seeing it, right? And we won't need hope because everything that we hope for will have arrived. But love, love is something that's eternal. Love is something that is before time. Love is something that exists in Eden and always beyond. Love is the core of the new heavens and the new earth. Love is what it's all about. Love is the center, and it is the expression of love in a, in a community that's focused on Jesus that is really at the heart of what we're doing here. It's really what it's all about. And it's that that we enjoy when we welcome those signs, when we welcome those wonders, when we welcome God's kingdom, God's spirit to work among us. Love is the reason for healing. Love is the reason for revelatory knowledge. Love is the reason for experiencing these miracles, these powerful acts of God in our midst. Love is the reason. God pours that stuff out on us so that we can know that he's real and that he really loves us. And that that future reality where love is made complete so that we can know that that is really coming and that is really going to happen. And we can Go the distance. We can stay committed. We can be patient. We can be kind. We can forgive people when they hurt us. We can practice love. You know, it's actually impossible to do most of the things in this list by yourself. You can't really forgive someone else by yourself. You can't really... Uh, you know, you can be patient with yourself, I guess. You know, like, there's a way you can kind of, eh. But honestly, like, the way that you follow Jesus, you need somebody else. In fact, you need a bunch of other somebody else's. You need a bunch of people to put up with you and to put up with them, to forgive each other, to struggle together, to wait together and hope together. And it's this that we practice when we pray for each other. Would you stand?